The Bragg Harvard Mohammed Smith Why We Can't Wait Scholarship has made another year of awards to students at Grand Rapids Community College in Michigan. This is a unique opportunity for people planning careers in public service because applicants and their recommenders are asked to speak to the applicant's cultural competency skills. Skills needed in everyday life, but essential for those going into public service. If you'd like to donate to the BHMS scholarship, you can do so by going to grcc.edu backslash give today. Greetings, welcome to season two of Tea, The Educational Architect. I'm your host, Morsalata. This season is dedicated to recovering, mainly because I was finally able to recover five conversations that I recorded in 2019 with some dynamic educators. So I hope you check out season two, Recovered Conversations, and maybe even take a peek back at the first season of Tea. Welcome to this episode where my conversation with the following guest concludes. In keeping with the importance of embodying one's voice, we begin today's episode by giving space for our guests to give us a self-introduction. I always wanted to be a novelist and thought I would. And one of my goals was to read every book in the library. <laughs> okay. And I had a friend and she and I worked in the library in elementary school, putting books back on the shelf. And she would secretly write her name in every, on every book card. <laughs> and I decided I wasn't gonna cheat, I was gonna actually do that. But I knew I loved books and words from the very beginning. And on the playground, I rewrote, I plagiarized <laughs> children's stories that I knew and made them into plays. And then I conned my friends into performing and we worked, we practiced during recess. And then the teacher would usually let us perform in class. And so I wrote and directed plays <laughs> in the third grade. And this was in 1971, mm -hmm. and uh, integration was mandated, but it wasn't being followed. Right. And so I did my student teaching in a white high school, but they, I sent out my resume and was hired to teach at a at the black high school in town in Port Arthur. And the teachers were integrated 50-50. So when a teacher resigned, he or she was replaced with the same race. Oh, okay. So if a black teacher resigned, a black teacher was hired. Okay. If a white teacher resigned, a white teacher was hired. And so I took the job, um, and it was the best experience of my life because number one, it made me a much better person and teacher because basically, you know, I had to put myself 
and in these kids' place, and um, it just made me a good teacher because many of them came from difficult circumstances, mm-hmm. and so what you did was just love them more. <laughs> and and the, the difficulty was getting them to go home, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, and uh, because they wanted to stay in their backyard. Thank you for sharing that. My follow-up question now is, given the time you've been teaching and those early experiences, um, and also having the opportunity to teach at one school for such a long period, like over three years, how has that helped you? You know, you're still teaching, right? So you, how does that help you? Because I'm not sure how you see the students have changed. The students um, have definitely changed. So how have you... Uh, how do you respond to that? Where I guess where are you now, as a teacher? I I found that you know I was very spoiled <laughs> for um, teaching in the same community, even though there was a a five year break when I moved back. I was offered my same position and stepped right back in, and I had taught enough older brothers and sisters of most of these kids. Um, But, you know, when your reputation precedes you, it's very, it makes it very easy because um, kids knew from other kids what I expected. So I just, I just want to make sure we do the timeline because you have been at that same school for a long time, but you, in Oklahoma. So mm -hmm. that first school was in Texas. Yes, I I stayed for four years, three and a half years at the school in Texas. And then I, uh, we moved to Oklahoma Mm -hmm. and I started teaching there. Yes. And to tell you the the truth. Please do. (laughs) My (laughs) kids at Lincoln High School uh, in my uh, black, Uh, high school those kids were more advanced more educated than the kids that I would find in Oklahoma Mm -hmm. because the school district they had a high school you know white and and black and they had not integrated yet but they certainly had set up the curriculum that was very strong Mm -hmm. And my department head was a super lady, and I didn't like her. (laughs) But I look back on my experience with her. She was a black lady. And, you know, I felt like if I said jump, she told me, no, you need to sit down, (laughs) you know. And if I wanted to do verbs, she wanted me to do nouns. I mean, we were never on the same page. Yes. But I realized that she was making me think, really think about my lessons. But she would pop in and out of my class. And we're talking, you know, a department that had probably 20 teachers in it. And yet I was the one that she was always, you know, on and I was, you know, had been a perfectionist through my education years. Everything had to be an A. And yet, I don't think, I think she might not have given me an A, you know. And uh, so I worked really hard for her. 
And what was funny, the second year I was there, she went to the next new teacher and grilled her, you know, about <laughs> every lesson. But she kept encouraging me, but if I wanted to do uh, verbs, I could do verbs. If I wanted to do nouns, I could do it. I, and she didn't seem to understand why I came to her for help. And I mean, you know, she said, you don't need me anymore. Well, you know, I didn't realize I needed her in the first place. <laughs> but, because yes. uh, I had my own ideas, but, mm -hmm. you know, she was able to rein me in and guide me. And and so when I look back at, uh, and think about Miss Moss was mm -hmm. her name. She was a, a gracious lady. Miss Moss? S-M-A-L-L-M-O-S-S. -S. Okay. Moss. Moss. Okay. Yeah, that was her name. Miss Moss. Miss Moss. And, uh, she could take over a room in about two seconds, you know. But anyway, she made she made me a, a stronger teacher. And so when I went to Oklahoma, I had seniors who could not even write much of a sentence, much less a paragraph, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that's where writing became really important to me, that the kids had to learn. And so I... And I, you know, I was learning as they were learning. And I think, you know, a teacher who doesn't learn at the same time as their students is really missing the point because I, I really believe we're lifelong learners and, you, you know, we can learn right along with our students, even though we think we might know everything. No, there's that's, always... That's always good teachers. for teachers to, or educators and teachers to remember. But what I really appreciate about your story is because we don't often hear all of the different ways that integration, that integrating the um, schools came about. We mostly think about what we see or we hear the most is the kids being taken out of, you know, their their home environments and being sent to white schools. But you're in a, the place where they integrated the teachers, which I would think all those, all of the white teachers who stayed there. And worked with someone like Miss Moss. Now, Miss Moss was black. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So, all the white teachers who stay there, because they're working with black teachers and a black principal, and they're being asked to start to think differently because mm -hmm. of that, the teacher education, educating at that level. And so, you're being challenged differently to deliver still the education to a mostly black student. Right. That's, that's, we don't usually hear that one. <laughs> well, and I don't know how much of that was based on the refusal to integrate. But when I look back at that process, I mm -hmm. think it was an important step in getting to the point where, you know, the campuses were integrated. I talked to someone not long ago, and they said that they tore down the high schools mm -hmm. and built one big high school. And they had to rename the school and rename the mascot. Okay. You know, because, because Lincoln High School, where I taught, they were the Lincoln Bumblebees. And there was so much pride with those kids. They were, And they had the, the newest high school building in the city. Okay, at that and time. so at that time, and so um, they were very proud 
of the, you know, in the community, we were inside of the black community where the schools situated. And so the community was very proud of their school. And I think they would have, you know, there'd been a lot of problems if they had tried to integrate at that particular point in time. And so here we are, 45 years later, mm -hmm. and you're teaching different students. Mm -hmm. So what's your experience now? Like, what do you, because we did say a, a bit ago that the students have definitely changed. Mm -hmm. The, the um, students have changed, but really they're the same. Okay. They, you know, we were, we were talking earlier about the way that kids behave in classrooms. And in other countries, it's different. Yes. And that's the way that I, you know, I have seen that big change. Because when I first started teaching. Thanks for listening to The Educational Architect. We will return after this brief break. My kids at um, Lincoln at the Black High School, they were ninth graders. But they manage the discipline, they knew that they were supposed to behave. And if some student got out of line, I was almost a bystander because somebody in the class would say, don't do that. You don't talk you know, to Miss Lewis that way. <laughs> and um, it was relatively easy. Um, but I have, you know, in, before when a, uh, you know, the parent would come, uh, it was already an understood thing that the student was in the wrong. <laughs> and, and that's not true. No. You know, in many situations, but it was understood. <laughs> you know, the parent never came as the think? adversary. They came to fix the problem. Mm -hmm. And, and I, you know, I have seen that through the years, flip-flop, yes. you know, and, but even, you know, and parents were, years ago, were usually good about reprimanding mm. little Johnny <laughs> and then sending him out of the room. And then if there was a problem still in private, they would talk to mm -hmm. the teacher and get to the bottom of it. And sometimes the teacher's wrong. You know, I, I've been wrong. Uh -huh. But they, the teachers and the parents were united in, against the child. Because it was about, in that in that trust in the, in the education, mm -hmm. like you're here to do something mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're not, you know, getting it you're getting in the way of your own learning and mm -hmm. the teacher doesn't want that and once upon a time most of the parents didn't want that mm -hmm. so yeah and so that, that i've seen that change okay. through the years but you're still teaching and well we'll see how much longer <laughs> okay well i'm glad we caught you now <laughs> but i you know i love i love kids and i love i love the problem kids because i found that if you just don't react if you will just pull them along. They'll finally, <laughs> they'll finally join you. And, and, you know, and I always say we're going to have, you know, they'd say, what are we going to do today? And you say, we're going to have fun. And 
And I wasn't lying because what I was <laughs> teaching is always fun to me, you know. Well, I like the the way you phrase it is that, if, you know, if we as the, the teacher keep, you know, pulling them along, eventually they will join you. And that's the thing is to get them to join you in this process. I know I tell my students usually on the first or second day that I teach at the community college, so I can yeah. get the talk straight. Not so many, <laughs> not so many rules. So I tell them like, hey, we're starting a semester and I want to just be clear that I know we're starting with two different agendas. My agenda wants you to learn. Mm -hmm. Your agenda wants a specific goal. Mm -hmm. So we have a conflict of interest on day one. And I say our job is to move those conflicts closer together towards the middle. So you are both learning and understanding why you are getting the grade and we need to figure out like so that's our goal this semester is to see our conflict of interest and figure out how we get together but i like the idea of how can i get you to join me in seeing past the grade or past the test or past something else and your value as a thinker a learner a writer and and that's what you know i would say to teachers out there who have students of color of whether they're a Mexican or Puerto Rican or African American, there's and, so many. Yeah, and um, also the you but know, that all of these kids are capable uh, of learning, and um, and it's you know I think it's your a teacher's job to find that middle ground with them as you were describing and uh, getting them on board. Yeah, and like you said, getting them to join you. And I think as um, teachers, we are uniquely poised to actually make real something Dr. Martin Luther King said. And I ask my students this sometimes, I was like, what does it mean to judge a person, to know a person by the content of their character and not the color of their skin? And they are stumped. For a bit they're like what does that mean and I'm like oh that takes a lot like you have to get over a lot of things mm -hmm. but as teachers that's what we do we get to know our students so we have that opportunity to get to the content of character um and something we did talk about earlier was that when you know i was watching i i was there you know i watched news national news and so i saw what was happening in other areas of the country. I saw, you know, the injustice of it all. But when I was 40, I met my birth father, which I knew existed, but I had never known him. And both of my parents were dead at that point, but I met my birth father and we developed a relationship. But in that relationship, I discovered that I, too, was a minority. <laughs> and I was American Indian, Choctaw. So, you know, what goes around comes around sometimes. <laughs> so, yes, at 40, you meet your Native American father. Yeah. And so, you know, it made me look at uh, the cowboy and Indian stories a little differently. The Westerns on television, you know. And so, you know, it goes back to when you look in the eyes of a child, always just put yourself in their shoes. And when I started teaching, 
I had a brother, my brother was younger than I was. He was in the middle of two sisters. Well, there was two sisters older and two sisters younger. Oh, yeah. And he was right in the middle. And and that's where my book comes from, Who Needs Girls? Because he was, <laughs> you know, the only boy. But he, you know, I felt that when I first started teaching, my bro- my little brother was in starting, well, he'd been through middle school, starting high school. You know, I was the student who did whatever the teacher told me to and never questioned. He was the difficult student who was not there to learn. He was there to play. And he was always in trouble. But he was always a good, he was, I knew his heart was so good. (laughs) And that if those teachers would just handle him with kid gloves that, you know, he'd do anything for them. Uh And so when I started teaching, my philosophy was, before I reacted to a student, was to, what would I want a teacher in this situation to do to my brother? And that really helped me as a teacher. Um, Because when I looked at that child, no matter how bad he was behaving, how much he didn't want to do a schoolwork, you know, I could see my brother right there. And so it made me pause and, um, you know, I didn't didn't want to kill him. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, I could have, but, you know, as a teacher, I thought, would I want a teacher to kill my brother? No, so just calm down, you know, and that helped me at the beginning. And then it became, you know, if uh, this was, yeah. Then just became part of part of what you do. And you, was, that's what you see. You don't have to try so hard. That's no. what you see. Yeah. So this is the part of the podcast where I usually ask um, if you have any other um, words that you'd like to leave our listeners. But that was great. Yeah, that's exactly what I want. I want to encourage teachers. Um, I know that I have uh, done uh, worked on state testing. I've worked a lot of committees state on the state and national level and met with teachers and that's one of the biggest secrets in the world is how awesome the teachers are Mm -hmm. and we hear sometimes on the news about the teachers being you know the we're we're getting the quality is bad and that is not true that is not true because I marvel every time I get into a, a group of teachers and just listen to them and so, you know, I think our kids are in good hands, but like you say, you say that, you know, their hands have been tied in lots of situations. Mm-hmm. And that's what I regret. Is the, the regret is what? The, I regret that teachers aren't given a free reign yeah. to teach. That the child that's in front of them, like mm-hmm. you said, see that. Yeah, because there has to be discipline in order to learn. Mm-hmm. And when one child is allowed to disrupt the classroom, uh, the losers are the other 25 in the class. That's important to know. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Tea. We welcome you back for future episodes. I'm Moore Salata Mohammed, your host and producer. The music you heard at the start of this episode was composed by Kasira Mohammed Smith. And until next time, sumum bonum and Ubuntu.